welcome to We Do, the officially unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we watched season episode, season one, episode three, uh, titled She Was Killed by Space Junk. Seen it two, three times now? I can't even remember. Uh, what did you think of this episode on further viewing? Uh, I liked it more when I got a chance to, because the, the, the thing you got to understand about a, a instant take is like the entire time I'm watching it, unless I'm just like a hundred percent receiving the transmission, the paranoia of like, Christ, I'm going to have to get on a microphone and say something about this. And the 30 minutes start setting in. And like, that's an unpleasant feeling. And it, it's like the more confounding the episode, the more that intensifies. And sometimes I feel like it fucks with my enjoyment of, of something live. But when I stop a wave, like, okay, I, I have to f- analyze this, like, immediately and, like, just watch it as a piece of entertainment, um, I liked it. And I felt like I got what they're doing with Lori's character more, especially after I read other people's, like, commentate. You know, the, the fact that she is, for better or worse, the comedian's daughter and, you know, she's been uh, forced to kind of hunt down people that she's at least partially sympathetic to, you know, like they might be vigilantes, mm-hmm. but they're they're trying, you know, uh, it, it's it's she is this contradiction of a character. And I think it's intentional. Yeah. Uh, and I got all that dissonance because that's the character she is rather than it being a mess of a character yeah. or if it's a mess of a character, it's there by design. Um, I mean, all the stuff with uh, Ozymandias is still crazy banana nuts, but I do think I've, I've got more and more confidence and faith that that is actually building to something mm-hmm. interesting. And when I started thinking about some of the... if When I started opening myself... Because uh, like also, I realized in the episode, holy shit, the people saying that this is a Martian prison are almost entirely correct. It, it, yeah. that's, or at least that's what the show wants us, I think, to start believing. And I resisted that for a while but now i've thought about it and i'm like okay now that i assume that some of what ozymandias is doing is making a bit more sense mm-hmm. um so yeah i feel like i worked through a lot of my cognitive dissonance with the episode what did you think jim yeah i came to a similar conclusion though maybe for a different reason because uh during instant takes i'm i'm very much not concerned with what i'm going to say it's more like I haven't figured out what themes they're going for. I haven't figured out why they're showing me the things they're showing. Mm-hmm. And that always helps with my feeling on an episode is if if I can clearly tell that they have something in mind that they're trying to do. Sure. Um, I can see where all the pieces fit. And so an instant take to me is very much me going, oh, shit, I don't understand any of this. And then, you know, two, three episodes or watches later, suddenly I understand it. When I When I start to realize, oh, what? The brick joke is actually a thing. And right. I'm not meant to like decrypt this cipher so much i'm uh-huh. simply meant to realize that this is a joke yeah uh and that it's and that the whole fucking thing is kind of a cosmic joke and the ties in with a comedian and like all that stuff starts to just lock into place yeah and to be clear like it's it's entirely possible this brick joke works on multiple levels sure. but yeah the fact that like it is a well-known comedic comedic uh construction yeah is it's a diversionary joke yeah <laughs> one that gets you to not think about the beginning of it then hits you with it at the end yeah and it's it's done all over the place uh but apparently i didn't know what it was so. mm-hmm. yeah i'd never i mean i'm familiar with the concept but i've never heard to it referred to and i guess that's like a yeah you know that's like a sh- like it's a term of art just like a shaggy dog joke is it or, a or like the aristocrats or, right it's yeah a, or knock it's knock something yeah. that's used all the time yeah it's just not necessarily pointed to and called out for what it is yeah uh, I thought maybe we could talk about the new podcast up front since that's kind of like the a official news one? current. Yeah. Th- yeah. And like, uh, I know a lot of people are excited about it. I had no idea it was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, was this planned all along? Must have been. Uh, 
but, but they released a trailer, but I don't know when that was released. Mm. Um, but it's 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 Craig Mazin who was the showrunner on the uh, fantastic HBO miniseries Chernobyl, mm. uh, interviewing uh, Damon Lindelof about the Watchmen and like this first episode. There's going to be three. I presume that after every third episode, they're going to release one. Um, this one is about the conception and like the pressure that Lindelof was on and why he accepted it and. Um, then they also talked a little bit about like, you know, this isn't, this is an hour long conversation about three hours of very dense stuff. And you obviously Lindelof is not going to, um, spoil anything, mm-hmm. but I thought there was a couple interesting points. Nonetheless, before I kind of go on, did you have anything that you, that stood out as, as something that was interesting to you? Well, he, did, he did give us one answer at least. Um, Red Fredations is in fact tax exemption. Yes. He outright says that is not some sort of monetary payout or anything. It's it also just spelled out in the, some taxes. of the PD files this week too. Oh yeah. Okay. So I was wondering if like how much of this is tied to the other stuff to where it's like mm-hmm. that felt like a disclosure. But then when I read the PD files, I'm like, oh, well, it's also this dude in New Frontiersman's railing about it. Yeah. Um, I thought which, is, which I think we all had kind of guessed. Yeah. Um, to, to be fair, like the, even Context the question lose. within the pod, like, do you think all Americans should pay taxes is a hint at that? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's stuff in the PD files we'll go into later on that. Uh, I thought it was interesting because Mason was talking about these odd. He, he's he's casting about for a name to call the you know uh, the followers that Ozymandias has on his estate, and he kind of settled on the term clones. And uh, Lindelof said, "I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable with the terminology clones here." Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It, it could be because of the origin of their creation. Because clones would almost have to be from a part of some other being mm. um, by necessity. Otherwise, mm. it's not a clone. It's just a completely created artificial life form. See, I thought it gave it a little, and I know maybe I'm maybe it's because I'm I'm making the the opposite of crazy, still crazy mistake that like I was resistant to the idea that uh, this was some kind of Martian prison or something, and now I'm kind of on all on board. But I took that as kind of like. If you say clone and you know Ozymandias is like this genius level genetic engineer, you might think that they're his. And also, I think that uh, Lindelof even brought up the question is like, who's to say that they're Ozymandias' servants? Yeah, which I thought was fairly telling. Yeah, to me, like at saying that these creatures are definitely an artificial creation, but not of uh, of Adrian Veidt. Right. Probably Dr. Manhattan. Probably Dr. Manhattan, um, Hmm. which is curious if, in terms of, of, of theory crafting and I also like there's that in-depth discussion about where Lindelof said just like in this day and age you can't hide all the things that you're burying mm-hmm. and I wonder if it hints to like there's going to be instead of trying to like tease the fact that uh, he's in some kind of prison uh, throughout the whole season there's going to be these rolling disclosures where it's like just when the internet like mm-hmm. is about to have it ran down it just disclosed yeah. you know uh, I, I wonder if that's an interesting defensive technique. So where you can have like three or four minor mind blowers, but there's not going to be like one long season reveal. The, se- the, the season arc is character driven, but there might be some minor minor spoilers that um, or, or minor twists that like a- occur over like a, a two or three episode arc rather mm-hmm. than like a 10 episode arc. Yeah, I love those kind of reveals because yeah. they, they end up 
inevitably making the reveal itself less important and the mm -hmm. character's reaction to the reveal more important, which to me is a far more interesting way to tell a story. And I think Lindelof knows that. Yeah, and I wonder, like, there's also, like, a brass ring he could go for where, like, he's got three independent mysteries that are designed to be solvable in real time by the internet audience, and maybe there's also one big reveal that is obvious once you have all three of those pieces, but it's a way that yeah. you can kind of, like, bury... Because you have people going after, but I don't. I don't it, well, this is what I wonder with the brick joke, because the brick joke is right. all about a diversion. What have we been shown so far in this series that is looks benign on mm -hmm. the surface, but will inevitably come back and bash our brains through our nose? Right? Especially since all the supplemental in information is dropping so much connections that people are like, I wonder if, I wonder if, and then the PD file says, yeah. oh yeah, totally, totally. Uh, this is exactly what's going on. Uh, Don Johnson is a Klansman. Not just a Klansman, but the leader of the Klansman. It's 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 interesting to see him kind of embrace that. And I, you know, to me, this is the lesson that every showrunner needs to learn. I think a lot of the smart ones have is like you just got to give up this idea that mm -hmm. you're going to outsmart 10 million people on the internet. Yeah, the only thing you can hope to do is is keep a pace with them and to have your core structure survive like people knowing what's going on and maybe shorten like like if, if people figure it out like maybe only make them suffer like an episode or two of this obvious yeah. plot reveal yeah um i the other thing that was mind-blowing is after they shot the pilot and got greenlit they went because of some kind of weather window closing and they shot 100 shot and wrote 100 percent of the jeremy iron stuff in wales mm -hmm. before they even started writing the rest of the season to me, that shows that like this is going to be an entire. It's almost like this season's Black Freighter. Yeah, uh, that it, it could be. Although they do say it'll intersect. Yeah, it will. But like, I think it's going to intersect. I, I yeah, I, this again might be me overacting information because there's nothing to say that that just means that they couldn't change anything mm -hmm. without a lot of expense and trouble. So if they intersect it's it's got to be in ways like if, if the plot had to give it had to give on the like the angela yeah uh side of the equation rather on the ozymandia side of the equation mm -hmm. um and then i thought also is really interesting how this is one thing i was concerned with of lori uh like her kind of like devil may care attitude about everything mm -hmm. like what is her moral compass at this point and he likened it to like Laurie's character being in like Act One Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive, and I'm like, well, that's perfect because if you just if you had cut this movie there and like there was no more movie or you had to speculate based on Tommy Lee Jones' soul, you know, you'd be like, well, he's a fucking uncaring monster. He just is uncompromised and doesn't give a shit. And like mm -hmm. Lindelof said, is like what you appreciate is when he said, I don't care. He actually does, and that is like a splinter in his mind. He keeps on returning to and pulling at. Like why? Why did he say that? Maybe there is something here. And to me, that helped me make a lot of sense of Laurie's character. It's yeah. not that she doesn't have any morals. It's just that we're seeing her in Act One of her story, and maybe she's in a transitional place herself. Maybe she's not met a fugitive like Richard Kimball before. Uh, I thought that was a really good insight. Yeah, and after further viewings, I really liked the introduction of Laurie. Yeah. The other stuff they talked about was uh, there was a lot of you know repetition of things that already been widely reported, like how much this season was inspired by the writings of Tana Hussey Coates, uh, particularly his book Between the World and Me and the Case for Reparations. Um, there's also a line that like I, I thought it's interesting, this, this creative struggle between you want to write something that you like because how the hell can you judge it if you write it for somebody else it's like i want this i want to like this thing i watch it i like this thing 
uh, and leaning in at a decision, but also like how incredibly hurt he's uh, he is still to this day when people don't like it. Like it's yeah. that thing's like, well, fuck, fuck everyone else. I'm making it for me. And if you like it and you're like me, then you like it. And then also how fucking dare this person, mm-hmm. you know, not get the point that I'm trying to make. I, I thought that was uh, very relatable. And how the how the hell does he survive on Twitter? Did, did he he got rid of Twitter, didn't he? I think he did. Like during the loss. Uh, I certainly know he did back then. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just like in a day where, you know, uh, there's so many podcasts and there's so many uh, people writing about media in both good and bad faith. How how do you survive uh, ego surfing in this era? <laughs> I don't know. I guess you just do really good stuff that people like more than they don't. That's all the stuff I had in the podcast. You got anything else or should we get into this episode? Not on the podcast. Yeah, I want to talk about the title a little bit. Uh, Space Junk is obviously, you know, could be applied to this blue dildo. Uh, It can be applied to this falling car. I I also found out that on this same album as the the song Mongoloid, which is what she was listening to, uh, Devo's album, Question Are We Not Men? Answer, We Are Devo, uh, has a song called Space Junk on it, which I thought was interesting. Um, And that's pretty much it. Uh, Although, no, uh, along the lines of music, there is a soundtrack being sold. Which is super interesting because it's it's on vinyl. It's by Trent Reznor and yeah, Atticus Ross, uh-huh. but it is completely branded as if you've been reading the Pedia, uh-huh. this Sons of the Pale Horse uh, band, and the album is called The Book of Rorschach, which mm-hmm. is the album that PD is referring to in one of those right. documents, which right. I think is super cool. Yeah, like it's it's from it's it's like an in universe. It's like something from the Watchmen universe yeah. that has cross the dimensions to our time super neat yeah i think really cool okay some housekeeping as has been the case for a while now there's a lot of stuff to talk about one big headliner jim sess and i have launched an entirely new network dedicated to politics and lifestyle related stuff it's called Swizzbold, S-W-I-Z-Z-B-O-L-D. And if you go to swizzbold.com, you can discover and preview our two flagship shows, Three Right Turns, a political podcast hosted by myself, and One Weird Trick, an advice show uh, podcast hosted by me and Cecily. If any of that sounds good, uh, head over to swizzbold.com and subscribe. Over on the Bald Move side, we also have Pickle Me This. It's an exciting time. Uh, we're wrapping up our season three uh, this week with two episodes releasing for uh, episode nine and ten of season three because season four begins next week and we'll be ready for it. Uh, if you are excited about season four, please join us on Pickle Me This. Our podcast, 2-Bit Encryption, we are busy decoding USA's Mr. Robot each and every week. We had a truly silent night this past Sunday with a full hour-long episode, zero spoken dialogue. What does it all mean? Find out. Our full episode recaps drop every Wednesday. American Horror Story Podcast Season 9, the 1984 podcast, comes out every Friday morning. Cecily and I are in a post-Halloween sprint to end the season. There's only two more episodes to go. Check that out on the American Horror Story Podcast. Cecily and Alexis begin their regular season coverage of His Dark Materials on Bald Move TV starting this week. Watch the first episode on HBO, then check out their weekly show on Bald Move TV. And on This Week in Bald Movies, we've got Dr. Sleep, which is the follow-up to Stephen King's The Shining. Uh, In the weeks to come, we've got Ford vs. Ferrari, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and eventually in December, Star Wars Episode Nine. Check it out on Bald Movies. So that's what's going on here at baldmove.com. If any of that sounds interesting, head over to baldmove.com or search for the podcast name wherever you listen to podcasts to subscribe.
getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. All right, let's get into the episode. We start off with Lori Blake using the Blue Booth Network, as it as we come to know it later, uh, to dial up Dr. Manhattan on Mars. She tells him a joke as a voiceover as she goes into a bank and robs it uh, in, in a... It's just a voiceover over that scene. Uh, when a masked vigilante shows up to stop the crime, she reveals that she's an FBI agent and the illegal vigilante is arrested. But of course, after she shoots him a few times in what appears to be just like some sort of fit of anger, fit of comedian-esque behavior. I like this because I, this is a joke that I think was only in Zack Snyder's version of The Watchmen, but the night owl in the, the credit scene um, that's that's they got to get the Bob Dylan times are changing. Um, night owl's got a gangster in a headlock outside of a... Uh, opera house that's showing the deflator mouse which is essentially you and, and there's this rich person uh a wealthy person standing behind him like a gas and his wife with the pearl necklaces behind it, it heavily implies that the night owl stopped uh bruce wayne's parents from being murdered so that the batman would never come about and there's this like this little wink about like you know this is this is this is the this is part of the culture changing where it's all about pirates and it's not about superheroes but I also love how like it's a brick joke that comes back in this episode. And now you've got a, somehow a fully formed Batman in this universe, complete mm-hmm. with rich asshole who takes out his personal problems on criminal lowlifes. Like, yeah, I mean, he's literally the Chris, the Chris, uh, Christopher Nolan Batman. Mm-hmm. He's dressed like it. He's doing the Batman voice. Uh, I, I, I love it. It's great. Is this the scene where we see a Washington monument with some kind of observation platform? In the background. Is that what that is? Or I thought that's the millennium clock. No, there are two different things. So there's a, what clearly looks like a Washington monument with a ring 
around it, like uh, some kind of huh. observation platform maybe or something. I must have got the two buildings confused because I thought... The, there uh, the, is the, also, yeah, the Millennium The only thing tower. that I thought was like the Rock kind Rock of Rock. vaguely Tony Stark Avengers Tower with the... Yeah. Um, but there, yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I think it's in this scene. Did uh, they paint the Washington Monument blue? No, they did not. <laughs> it is still just boring old gray. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we kind of did. Do we want to talk about the brick joke? Like, this is a, there's a classic version of it, and this is pretty much it, where, mm -hmm. you know, guys teaching the daughter's trade or whatever reason he's got an extra brick, and the, the daughter just says, I know, Daddy, I know what to do with it, throws it up in the air. Yeah. And telling him, like, forget about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Not a big deal. It's not important. But this guy is a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's going to work for him. Yeah. Um, what do you think about... It's interesting because we know in the 70s, people were very much uh, wanting badges, not masks. It mm -hmm. seems like public sentiment uh, 40 years later has turned around to where now the crowd is angry at legitimate law enforcement, uh, you know, stopping in to... Or stepping in to... to jail I mean, a vigilante the badges are the masks now that's true like, there, there's no distinction between the two the lines are awful awful fucking blurred here yeah uh so after the honeypot operation lori goes to her hotel room feeds her owl and is visited by senator Keene, who asks her to go to tulsa and find out who really killed judd crawford uh he insinuates that if she does this he'll pardon night owl once he becomes president what do you think of the symbolism of uh, the Dr. Manhattan takes Silk Spectre case uh, having a combination of 667? Mm, I've, I've got too many off by one theories in my head already. Do you? Okay, because I saw that too. Because of Mr. Robot, I don't need any more. Oh, okay, because there <laughs> there's, there's another off by one theory uh, okay. going on in, in The Watchmen. Um, I don't know if I is buy there, this. In, in how deep does it go? I, I it went this. deep to where I got halfway through the post. And I'm like, nah, bullshit, and I moved on. <laughs> okay. Um, but I do think it's interesting because like in biblical numerology, like six is, like seven is a um, biblically perfect number for some reason. Okay, mm -hmm. um, or it, 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 it denotes a sense of divine completeness, um, and like six is one short of that, so it's like the ultimate number of imperfection. So I wonder if like the six six seven is like a personal uh, is supposed to indicate like the the contradiction in Lori that mm -hmm. you know she wants to be a hero but she's also kind of villainous. Uh, I, that's what I came up with anyway. Okay. I, on this off by one thing, I did see something that I don't know if it's if it's a true Egyptian uh, mathematics or if this is some Egyptian kind of math. conspiratorial uh -huh. ancient aliens bullshit. Okay. Uh, there's something with 63 and 64 uh, that, that ties in with the Egyptian... Mathematics is it like pyramid lore. math? Because if it's Something pyramid math, like it's got to be bullshit. Because right, I know, but I wouldn't put it past Lindelof to also include something like That's that true. in one of his works. Right, because like Whether you know, obviously a not. lot of the clan mythology is bullshit, but it's all yeah. up in uh, this stuff too. So right, I didn't, I didn't research it because it looked like bullshit to me, but but also because of like be Ozymandias's kind of like fascination with the Egyptian mm -hmm. uh, culture, and, exactly, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that could be. And so this off by one sixty three of sixty four, whatever. Uh, the the other thing I thought was interesting in, in this world that this is something I was curious about is that, that like, is the cops and masks effective? 
and it's claimed by uh, Keen, who's probably a Klansman, so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, the crime's down in 80% in Tulsa, and, uh, you know, d various... Um, you know, liberal bastions, at least in our world, like Atlantia, New Orleans. I love, he said, even goddamn Denver is considering a similar program mm -hmm. because it's so effective. Um, you know, just because something's effective doesn't mean it's right or it's something that we want to live with in a free society. But, uh, and, and also, I guess I don't know that I trust his stats because... Well, also, I don't know that stats tell the entire picture either. True. Like, you can... Make, what kind of crime? <laughs> yeah, you can make 300% more arrests, but if you're right. doing it because the law changed to arrest people who are using right. fountain fountain drink cups yeah. in fast food restaurants, well, you've you've yes, upped your number of arrests, but it's done no good. Yeah. No, I could I so, could make the pro, the crime rate in this country plummet by just legalizing every drug. Uh yeah. is that good or bad? Uh it's probably bad. I don't know. Probably good. I think we should try it. Fuck it. No, legalizing everything is is the way to go, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, yeah, but it's like one of those things where it's like, what is what what crime is down? How you measure it? Like, crime is a lot of things. Are we talking violent crime? Are we talking white collar crime? Are we talking parking yeah. tickets, jaywalking? What are we talking about? Sure, it's all context. context uh, but the thing king. that like that gets Lori the the carrot for her character, the owl for her owl, or the the mouse for her owl is uh, Keen is dangling a presidential pardon. Um, and he thinks, uh, you know, investigation of this. So, so this all just goes to point that like everything that happens this episode is probably uh, a Seventh Cavalry kind of false flag operation. Could be yeah. that uh, Joe, the, the 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 Joe King Jr. is cause is, is is doing this to inflame people's passion and gather sympathy, and also by cracking down on the Klan, he can dis you know, or the Cavalry rather, he can kind of distance himself from accusations that he's uh you know sympathetic to white nationalists anyway so he can plant himself in the in the yeah. highest seat of government yeah seems like it yeah i i also like this this little teaser here for the giant blue dildo she opens the case it's glowing blue pulp fiction style yeah and then she gets knocked on the door and has to close it it's got this like official you know tough case kind of thing like this yeah. is a serious piece of equipment what the hell is it going to be yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> it's pretty funny and then, of course, Lori is sitting in front of herself on this poster. You can see in the back of, of the four heroes that, I guess, survived uh, all of the events of the Watchmen comic. I think it's one of those, because uh, we, we know from the series that uh, Andy Warhol kind of had a fascination mm -hmm. with the, the Watchmen. Yeah. Do you think it's a, a, a Warhol original? Uh, not an original. I'm sure it's a print. You don't but think Silk Spectre 2 can't wrangle in a hotel original? room? Oh, oh yes, I guess that's true. Yeah, I don't think this hotel has an original sitting in their hotel room. Uh, what? Or she, she brings it with her and puts it up. She was in a hotel room. I I assumed so. Why? Because it it's got like, her. She brings her owl well, everywhere she goes. Joe Keen shows up and he's in a hallway. I just thought it was her yeah. like upscale apartment that she's living in because because otherwise she's bringing maybe. that fucking owl with his giant cage everywhere she goes, which Fuck yeah. maybe. I didn't see it. I didn't see it on the private and plane. Then, and then in that case, maybe she brings in a Warhol original with her wherever she <laughs> That's goes. That's right. She brings Dr. Manhattan, her uh -huh. fucking owl, and the fucking Warhol original. Or that's in her contract. <laughs> like, you might take my husband to jail. I might have to hunt down people that I'm intellectually and ideologically sympathetic with, but I get my fucking dildo, my owl, and my painting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I, you make your own deals in life. Okay. So Lori completely fucked up this first joke so she starts telling a new joke about three heroes trying to get through the pearly gates 
that starts up as she goes as a voiceover as she goes to uh the fbi tulsa 7k briefing mm-hmm. um pd tries to insert some psychological context into the slides but gets shut down and then Lori's boss wants to send a whole team to Tulsa, but Lori makes the call to just take PD with her. Did it change your impression of the PD files to know that like Agent PD is not taken seriously by his own department? No. I, I got that impression from I, maybe the very first one. I, I didn't that know I that he wasn't taken seriously, but I definitely felt like that he was a minority perspective. Um like that he he's he's writing this as like uh uh, as as a as a kind of act of persuasion to get people on board with his ideas, I, I guess I didn't see him mm. as like uh, he 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 seems like even younger. Like, I, is this guy out of his thirties or out of his twenties? Because he talks about he his like his a... scholarship and his experience, but like, I mean, he feels like he's like a year out of college, maybe out yeah, of his he master's. Might be late twenties. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I got the impression from the first uh, PD file um that was talking about rorschach and the 7k's relationship uh-huh. that nobody was listening to him but he was going to write it anyway because he needed because he's a history freak right. apparently they, yeah they need to they need to hear it yeah um that was pretty funny uh chief judge in a tree h-i-a <laughs> h-a-n-g-i-n-g like yeah. i i don't know it's um i thought it's pretty funny but it's also it paints a certain picture Mm-hmm. of the agency doesn't it yeah um i was am, am i wrong to think that senator keen is from texas i don't know because they call him uh cowboy giddy up or whatever could be senator from oklahoma Gideup, though too i mean they're pretty big on cowboys out in oklahoma well, too yeah he could be and then also like oh he does have that speech where he says i'm not leaving oklahoma until we deal with the 7k problem yeah i think he's i think he's the senator of oklahoma yeah, but I, right. I i i wouldn't swear on a any kind of uh, religious document about that uh right. wait we... there was something else oh the other thing i thought was interesting in this briefing is they mentioned i mean this makes sense but like it seems like there's the the second amendment has been severely curtailed in this uh universe because they talk mm-hmm. about how the the department after the white knight took at people's guns even their grandfathered ones implying that there was like some kind of exception for keeping guns yeah but it makes sense of like the police are no longer allowed to carry weapons uh um openly unless under certain that like maybe the the population was disarmed as well clearly doesn't keep the 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 weapons out of seventh cavalry's hands but uh right it's just a little world building note so we go to the flight to Tulsa, where Petey reveals that he brought a mask, but Lori tells him not to wear it. Petey strikes up a conversation about Ozymandias, which Lori mistakes for fandom, but Petey tells her it's an interest in history. I think it's both, right? Like, uh, if you're a, like a big time historian and you got to like talk to uh, Churchill, you know, mm-hmm. or Roosevelt, you'd probably be a little fanboy girl about it wouldn't you like if you read all this stuff and you've studied them and mm-hmm. now you've got this like actual historical figure you can ask about anything about your like it's the 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 you know there's really not a lot of difference between an expert and a fan other than like the rigor i guess right because you got to be passionate about to study something and to to devote so much of your life to that thing so mm-hmm. um it's like I, I don't even know she mistook it it's just there's an additional there, there's there's a, a level of like uh professional um professionality to his fandom that you that's that you can't dismiss because i guess what he's doing is important uh especially to their task force yeah 
no, he seems to have have narrowed uh, the, the context of things pretty importantly, but nobody wants to take him seriously. What's your read on his source in Argentina saying that Ozymandias got plastic surgery and has been hiding out? That's not compatible with the Dr. Manhattan uh, prison theory. Yeah, I think that's just a rumor. Okay. Yeah, I thought it's just like a, it's one of those um, kind of like conjectures that's out there and that's stated in the text to kind of get people, but mm-hmm. I, it doesn't seem like it's what the story they're trying to tell. No. Although it does explain why Jeremy Irons doesn't look like Matthew Good. But <laughs> yeah, but so does 30 years. <laughs> sure. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure. Yeah. Uh, all and right, also, we... that was the Zack Snyder production. Ozzy Mandius yeah. has been portrayed many different ways in many different. <laughs> Very true. All right, the joke continues with the second hero uh, visiting God as Lori arrives at the scene of Judd's hanging where she finds wheel marks. Then she visits Judd's widow. Her and Petey then go to the warehouse where they're interrogating the Nixonville arrestees. She gets in the pod with Looking Glass and gets him to admit all kinds of shit that he shouldn't be admitting to, including his own identity, the identity of Angela Abar, uh, and that no talk screen was done on Judd's corpse. And she finds out that the funeral is in a couple hours and decides to attend to speak with Angela. Um, so there's a lot of ground we covered there. Uh, the, the, we, we returned to Jeb's house or Jed's house rather, uh, the Crawford's residence. Has they established whether Judd himself is rich? Jane was from money. Uh, or like, is this like a, is this compound like something that you get as chief of police? Because this place is like a mansion. I, I guess I didn't notice it the first time, yeah. but it's like. A governor, like it's lavish, like a like like even more than like a government. It, it's a. Some might say it looks almost like a plantation house, <laughs> uh, which is my opinion on it. I think this mm-hmm. is an inheritance from his, you know, KKK probably slave owning ancestors. Well, I was wondering if that's one line. of the if if that's one of the things we're supposed to understand because Oklahoma wasn't it a free state? Like, so are we supposed to understand that Daddy Judd got rich stealing the wealth of the blacks living in Tulsa? Like, was he one of the ones that looted and like? That's what I'm assuming. I mean, but there, there was there was a lot of value that was destroyed. Probably not destroyed. Probably transferred mm-hmm. and like looted. I wonder if um, that's something you're supposed to understand. That like, there's a direct culpability instead of like a vaguely general societal culpability. Yeah. Uh, that that's going on here. And. Uh, the PDpedia certainly paints a picture of that as well. Do you think that like looking glass is not supposed to disclose their identities or it's more of like he knows he doesn't have any like this federal agent already knows this information and can find it out because of various laws and he's just kind of like emasculated by it or is, maybe is... we don't know the status of the laws if I if I knew more about the law yeah. regarding this sort of stuff is there a registration for these cops yeah like is, is Lori there... flexing on these guys is she stepping oh she's definitely doing that she's flexing for yeah. sure is she flexing like legally extra legally mm-hmm. uh, is it is this kind of thing like yeah maybe I've broken some laws but obviously you guys are overstepping your legislative mandate as well like I, yeah. I don't I don't I, I got and... the impression that Looking Glass was sort of taken aback that she knew his name which yeah which may be because had she introduced herself at that point, she hadn't. She just said, let me be next in the pod. Yeah. So so maybe that was the off-putting part, not that... It, like, he just didn't know who she was. Yeah. Um, uh, do you think... I, I liked him wiping his mask, even though... Cause what like that's, sense does that make? Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a, a nervous habit, but like it's also you're wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, her statement on the pod being a racist detector, do you... 
how solid do you think the technology and the science behind this pod is? Like, are, are we supposed to understand? Is this like a lie detector? In, in, in yeah, other words, not very at all. Mm -hmm. So it's like it works because people think it works, and it make you can you judge how nervous or evasive someone is. But like, it seems like Lori would be yeah. pretty is pretty dismissive of the technology. She is, and I think that's exactly why because it's not all that scientific. Okay. Okay. Or, or not all that uh, certain. I did results. think it, it did uh, it did seem like the fact that she knew their names was a bit of a shock to them, but I don't know if it's like a shock like uh, she's just being professional discourteous or not deferential the way that he's used to people acting or whether she's actually doing something wrong or illegal. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He never asked to see her badge, which fucking shocks me because he gives up not only his own identity, but Angela's identity. I, I guess if, you, if, 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 if a person in a suit shows up at the heart of your like <laughs> off the books black police operation you assume some things sure yeah someone has seen badges at some point um but yeah i mean i don't know that's the other thing is like i get the weight is uh he's not much for like show or like meaningless gestures you know like oh let me see your badge if it's like literally she can just show him a badge like why why would he do that because you're giving up you're potentially putting angela on a list of names to be targeted here if this person is, you know, not who she, who you think she is, or I don't know, it just seems like a lot of information, a very vital piece of information to Angela's life to give out to someone who has shown no credentials. One of the things that I don't understand, because like in the backstory and in some of the supplemental materials, and I think they, this might even been in the text of this season. They mentioned the original Keen Act was you had to give up being a vigilante or you had to identify yourself. If, if you wanted to like get licensed or whatever, you had to identify yourself to one of your state's active senators. Hmm. Um, and if that's the case, then like how much of DOPA is like built on? Because I thought DOPA was, was mentioned as kind of an amendment or a supplemental to the Keen Act, um, which I don't understand why Angela is so surprised that keen being the senator of the state that she uh serves in why he would know that she's still not she's not retired she's just doing the mass vigilante kind of business yeah it almost implies there is some kind of registration yeah but also it's like are these people do these people know the rules that they're enforcing there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff i think is confusing and clear not because i think it's poorly written just because we are finding it out as we go yeah all right uh the other thing about this this joke voiceover that's going is it's kind of Going through the the heroes, uh, the the Watchmen, mm -hmm. uh, as we go, like this is hero number two is Ozymandias. He's the smartest person in the world, all that stuff, and God sends him to hell just like he sends everyone else to hell, including Doctor Manhattan later. Yeah, uh, I don't know how important that stuff is. Well, I just wonder because, like, what does Lori think gets you into heaven? Because mm -hmm. being well meaning, I don't think she thinks anything gets you into heaven. That that's the thing. I think she huh. she views much like the comedian, right? Everything has this sort of cosmic... Everything's a fucking joke. Okay. None of it means anything. Well, then what does she think is virtuous or good? Because, it's like, good Dan... Question. She sees Dan as being too soft-hearted, mm -hmm. Ozymandias being too crazy, uh, and Dr. Manhattan being who gives a fuck. Yeah. Like, what is the correct answer? What is the show positive the correct answer? I, I'm actually genuinely curious. I'm actually genuinely curious if there's any kind of moral message that mm -hmm. you can kind of hang your hat on by the everything's being said and done at the end of the season yeah we'll that's see. hard it's very easy to identify problems yeah 
in in society it's much harder to suggest like a positive way to move forward and if i had to guess i would say they won't do that because i don't think watchmen necessarily does that itself the, True. the comic it's more of a looking glass yeah yeah it lets you sort of make your own conclusions mm-hmm. um and if they follow suit there won't be much in the way of concrete answers at least for the the moral quandaries uh so we get another part of the joke uh another hero shows up it's dr manhattan talking to god as Lori and Petey check into their hotel where Lori unpacks and straps a gun to her ankle. When they get to the funeral, Lori speaks with Angela briefly. Uh, the ceremony begins. Angela sings a song that Judd wanted her to sing at his funeral. And then uh, things get weird. A 7K member crawls through a tunnel into the cemetery, straps himself up with C4, tries to abduct Keen. Unfortunately for him, Lori has that ankle gun, blows his head off, Angela rolls the 7K body into Judd's grave and drops the coffin on top of it, saving everyone around, but blowing him to smithereens. So, so I've I've turned I've uh, I've grown to like this episode a lot more. I still think this scene is dumb. It's it's is it just con- the beeping. It's yeah. I mean, like if it's like either it's rigged up to his heart or it's not. And if it's yeah. rigged up to its heart, and like maybe you want to argue, like okay, it takes a while to die from a gunshot. Okay, sure. maybe it does. But like, why have the audible? You know, like what is what is that beeping doing? Is it showing that like his heart changed? Like, I don't know. I, I just think it's 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 kind of a dopey construction, mm-hmm. and I wish they had because you. I think you could do the same thing with something that actually stood up to some kind of thought and scrutiny. Uh, they just they just didn't. So it was a hell of a scene, though. Having said that, like it was, it, just, it all felt like they wanted to get to that last moment where Judd's corpse blows up. Yeah, like it's it feels very comedian, like grim fucking joke. Yeah, kind of business. Uh, Which you know they played with some of the mechanics to get there, but and like Angela and Lori's eyes locking after everything is said and done hmm. uh, was 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 good too. Um, yeah. Did you so? The seventh K guy can uh, accuses Joe uh, the Keen Juniors, the senator, of being a race trader. Um, but like I said, I feel like this is very intentionally a false flag type of operation. Certainly could be. Um, what did you make of the uh, last roundup song? Because I looked at some of the lyrics in the last verse. Mm. Name checks Buffalo Bill, Kit Carson, and General Custard. Uh, custard. Wade, Custer. Sorry, <laughs> I threw in the D. I, I went the hard D on Custer. It's oh, controversial. Yeah. Uh, and implying that all these guys are in heaven waiting for the hero to come home. And like, my thing is one of these things are not like the other, like Buffalo Bill, Kit Carson, both these rough, rugged frontiersmen. Um, I'm sure they didn't have what I would call agreeable modern politics, but then they throw it in general Custer who is primarily known, uh, known for waging war against the Indians and getting his ass handed to him. Mm. And I was doing some research on Wikipedia that like a lot of the legend that he has attained that's kind of been pushed back in with modern scholarship was his widow because he was died as a very young uh, general and she like waged this like journalistic campaign to make her husband look like he was a fucking hero uh, throughout the rest of her long widowed life. Hmm. So she like spent 40 years like propping up and blowing up his legend and we've only been recently kind of deflating it. Um I don't know what what's the there there. I mean, especially that we know uh, we we pretty much know that Judd himself was. Uh, I mean, I yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like there's no uh, conclusion to say that he's a deeply racist person, mm. probably fighting this, this this shadow war against the 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 legitimate government of the United States to uh, continue to oppress minorities. Uh, 
what the fuck does it mean, man? Man, I, I didn't do any research into this song. Uh, I meant to. I just didn't get to it. But there, there's something around the idea of of who who writes the histories here, mm-hmm. right? And I, you know, there, there's an old adage about the winners writing the history, right? Um, but but you combine that with sort of the the Black Wall Street Tulsa 1921 event, where that was sort of swept under the rug, and the winners, the de facto winners in every mm-hmm. fucking race uh, conflict over the last 400 years in this country. Uh, have been the white people, mm-hmm. and they sort of swept that under the rug. Um, so there's probably some tie in there. That they're Plus, going it's for. like I th- there's like three protagonists in Laurie's joke that all goes to hell, and here's three protagonists mm-hmm. in this song that like, uh, I mean, they're all notable for also their their fights against the uh, Native Americans. Um, yeah. Like yeah, and, and, and okay, we almost have to get into the PDpedia at this point. Do you want to? Because there is a letter from, yeah, we probably should, because this is the time to discuss that. There, there's a letter from uh, David Keene, who I think is the the one who the Keene Act is named after. Yeah, right? it's the father. I, I again, it, it's either the father or grandfather of the current uh, Bob Benson, yeah. Joe Keene. So it's a it's a 1955 letter mm-hmm. that was given to. Uh, uh, a man named Crawford, who I assume is the father of Judd Crawford, mm-hmm. um, telling him the the story of this painting, the 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 one that the last episode was named after, the Comanche, uh, the Comanche horsemanship one. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's essentially saying that this is sort of it's a copy of the original that was made by the artist himself, uh, and it has a different name this is actually the painting that is named what the last episode was named even though yeah. it was a swap of words yeah this is because so the, the story here is that he lost the original to some he, he got fell in hard times had to sold to sell to some rich collector so to get around that he repainted it from his original sketch and then named it you know swap the words around to yeah to keep martial from, feats of command command from plagiarizing yourself like, yeah I, I, don't know. I, I don't quite understand why you need to do that but he did that um, and so this is this is that painting, and it's being given to Mr. Crawford mm-hmm. um, in order to remind him of of his birthright and the the things that they're fighting for. And it's all pretty obviously um, based on like trying to harken back to the fight of the white people against the Native Americans. Yeah, they talk about like this. It's it's praising the valiant men who followed Manifest Destiny, which was right. the doctrine that essentially God had given North America to the white man, mm-hmm. and it's our Christian duty to uh, tame this savage land, uh, and said the painting is a reminder of the formidable skills of our savage enemies and how defeating them uh, requires us to match them in cunning skill and ingenuity. And to never yeah. betray our birthright, there is also this passing down of a mantle, which yeah. uh, can be like an office, but it's also can like direct. It's 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 it also can just be like robes. So there's a connection to like, uh, uh, and, and also did you did you notice the the what he 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 the way he signed it? Uh, A K I A. Mm-hmm. Did you look into that? 
Uh, very briefly, it, it's of Afri- It's a name of uh-huh. African origin. No, uh, actually, okay. From what I read, it could be, but it's also a yeah. clan, uh, like insignia, meaning a clansman. I am. It's like one of their covert ways to like, which is ironic. Like, yeah, that it, this would be also a name of African origin. <laughs> and it had this like single eye, which is kind of um, like it could be a Freemason symbol, but also people pointed oh, out yeah. that like the uh, one of the titles in the clan is a Grand Cyclops. Okay. So it could be that like this is literally passing that mantle of leadership of the clan from one generation to the next. Yeah, I very much got that. Okay. That impression from it. And 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 this particular entry in the PD file is is called four letters, which uh, I think is to ref- the, to emphasize the AKIA. So gotcha. Um, yeah, like uh, like Hooded Justice said last episode, I, I can think of a lot of valid reasons a white guy could have Klansmen in his closet. I, I, I just can't none come to mind right now. Like, well, mm. now we've eliminated all the good. This is not a Dan Carlin uh, person who's collecting this as a matter of history. Uh, this 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 seems to yeah. And I mean the fact that he so so I want to say okay, well Judd could still be innocent of all this. You know, it's this is given to his father or grandfather, whatever. But the fact that he's got this picture so prominently displayed of of his legacy, uh, he's got this robe in his closet, he's got this painting hanging in his fucking entryway. The fact he goes out at night when the police are on high alert with no regard to his safety and then uh-huh. is listening to deeply conservative American radio shows. Yes. All of this points to Judd was a racist. Judd was probably uh-huh. the, the leader in Oklahoma of the KKK, the 7K. Yeah. If not the nation. Sure. What what else? <laughs> that's 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 the case. Uh, the only thing that might possibly and I wonder if this is a switcher because the other thing about this is um, this is a story put aside all the Klansman stuff. This is a story of a counterfeit uh, alternate version of something who from certain points of view is a superior version of a thing um, mm-hmm. masquerading out in plain sight. There's been a lot of speculation about like Ozymandias trying to make a count a duplicate Doctor Manhattan or like the the uh, here they talk about the the Red Army is trying or the Soviets are trying to create an intrinsic field generator implying that they're trying to make their own Doctor Manhattan. Uh, if Doctor Manhattan shows up in this season and they've implied it from the trailers that he will, mm-hmm. I'm going to be suspecting it's not the real Doctor Manhattan. And this 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 letter is one of the reasons why, because this this introduces this concept of uh, a non genuine thing being passed off as a genuine thing. What distinction would there especially be? if he's Doctor Hatmanton? Hatmanton, that's a dead Fuck giveaway. Me. It's the same thing. They switched around the name a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> what what difference would there be? Between a genuine and a non genuine Doctor Manhattan, I don't. That's a great question because he. Because if, if, you, if make, you perceive him as Dr. Manhattan, he has to have all the powers. Yeah, if you make it fake Dr. Manhattan, you've kind of just made Dr. Manhattan. Right. And mm-hmm. and there wouldn't be much, I don't think, of a philosophical difference between the Dr. Manhattans because it became pretty clear that John was driven to uh, you know, change his worldview yeah. because he was Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. So I don't know if there would be a substantive difference between the two. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is like if like say the Russians managed to create a man a Doctor Manhattan, uh, a Comrade Manhattan, yeah. Comrade Stalingrad, whatever, uh, to to fight the the American Doctor Manhattan, it's entirely possible the two would meet on the field of battle mm-hmm. and like within a nanosecond exchange like the the, the like go go in a hundred years with a philosophy of why like their condition sucks and humans suck and they just both fuck off the different universes and now yeah. no one has a Doctor Manhattan. Uh huh. 
I mean, that's what happened. Like, we, we rapidly lost control of our Dr. Manhattan. I would think the presence of another Manhattan to guide the process would make it even faster. Yeah. That would be an interesting way for it to go, that, like, creating a Dr. Manhattan is inevitable, but every time you do, they just, like, quickly lose connection to humanity and fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll win a war before they do that, though. Yeah. All right, we go to uh, Veidt, Veidt's castle, where he's preparing some kind of experiment he creates a suit, which he straps to Mr. Phillips, and then they proceed with the experiment, and we cut to see this frozen, solid corpse of Mr. Phillips. And Vite is pissed off. He declares that they'll need a thicker skin, so he rides out to the countryside. He shoots a buffalo, but before he can get the skin, the game warden shows up, takes a shot at him. Uh, so he returns to his castle, where he has read a letter from the game warden, outlining the violation of his terms of captivity, and he drafts his response, declaring he had no intention of violating those terms, and he invites the game warden to a face-to-face -face meeting. Then he dons his Aussie costume and declares he will hunt again that night. Man, there's so much to to talk about here. Yeah. Uh, where do we where do where do we begin? Uh, the game warden. Okay. Is he? A Mr. Phillips? He doesn't look like a Mr. Phillips. See, I saw a high res copy of him, and I felt like maybe from like as it's from a weird angle with you know a mask and he's got a pencil mustache on and he but he looks a little doughier yeah than mr phillips yeah the, the frame was the real uh tipper to me yeah so uh there's also a lot of people on reddit got really hung up with uh your your humble uh your, your humble obedient servant like closing mm -hmm. um i don't think that people re realize that like up to 100 years ago that was a pretty standard way to address like like you retreat to ultra formality if, yeah. if you've seen the um musical hamilton like there's a whole like song called your humble obedient servant which is uh uh hamilton and aaron burr uh, going at each other, yeah. you know, but they always like you, 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 it's like if you got your best buds, you can be more informal. But if you're like, uh, there's a duel that's threatened by your guys's argument, then you retreat to this severe formality to keep from making, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a, a mistake. So, like, but on the other hand, Lindelof knows all this shit too. So it could be exactly what, like, because uh, people wanted to use that to make the interpretation that this is like some kind of game that Ozymandias has come up to amuse himself while he's in some sort of self-imposed exile or whatever. Hmm. Um, but I don't, that doesn't seem like the, an Ozymandias thing to do, to just create a fantasy world for himself to fuck yeah. around in. I think he's actually engaged in some kind of rhetorical exercise against Dr. Manhattan. This, uh, th this, like, like, uh, this, this play that he's writing is something to try to evoke some kind of sympathy or empathy or um, uh, psychological response to Dr. Manhattan and all these experiments he's doing with Mr. Phillips is designed to like escape the confines. And like, I was thinking like, well, how the hell can you reach like low earth orbit with a trebuchet? Mm -hmm. But I'm like, if you're on Mars, that's like what one third to gravity, Roughly, and you yeah. don't have the air resistance, and like maybe you're not trying to escape the planet, you're trying to escape the containment of some bubble. Now this stuff starts making a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um. Now I don't know how the hell he thinks he can get away with this with the Doctor Manhattan, but he tried it once before. Yeah. So, well, the other thing that's interesting to me is this invitation for a face-to-face -face meeting. Yeah. Is that 
is that uh, just an opportunity to speak directly with Dr. Manhattan? Yes. Or his captor, let's say? Yes. Um, or is that more like uh, the opportunity to to make his escape? Like, or does he view them as one and the same? I think, I think, yeah, whatever he's been working on uh, is like he wants a face to face meeting because that's what he needs. He, he's, um, and that, that's the thing is like a lot of people wondered, like, well, last time we heard from Dr. Manhattan, he wanted to go off to another galaxy and create life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's entire, and we also know that Dr. Manhattan can be in multiple places at once and give things his full undivided attention, but it's also possible that Manhattan set up this prison populated by these weird entities that keeps Ozymandias contained. And he did go fuck off to another galaxy. Um, One of the compelling thoughts I saw was that, that, that shot of Dr. Manhattan destroying the castle was his frustration that, that uh, Ozymandias has escaped and he's come back and, and, and see it. And just in like a, a fit of Manhattan peak, he just destroys it. Okay. Because it no longer, it's it's yeah. not like well, we're joking about an instant cast where it's like, oh, every time he escapes, he has to destroy it and rebuild it again. It's more of like he gets back to the J, like he gets back to, uh, uh, not El Chapo. Why can I remember the guy from Narcos? <laughs> Escobar. <name? laughs> Escobar. He gets back to Escobar's prison and everyone's gone. He's like, fuck it, burn it down. Yeah. Um, okay. Again, like I said, yeah, this stuff all kind of like and that meshes. Puts, yeah, that puts maybe some of the timing in perspective too, because that is right at the beginning of the series that we see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're talking about, okay, maybe there's seven years of exile leading up to his escape now we, we could yeah. be in the current day yeah. at the beginning of the series people are wondering where ozymandias is maybe ozymandias is already out and, yeah. and taking active roles in, in the plot that we see it's entirely possible he's engineered this like all this racial tension and stuff like who knows yeah. who because, knows because that's the thing is like i kind of i just realized I, I dismissed him being able to outsmart dr manhattan but the story of the original watchman is adrian did outsmart dr manhattan like mm-hmm. Dr. Manhattan, by the time Manhattan figured everything out, it was already too late to to, to stop what uh, Vite had done. Yeah. So it's not that you have to outsmart Dr. Manhattan forever and all time and get away with it. You just have to exert your will, and then it's too late for him to do anything about. It's entirely possible he could do that again. Yeah, I'm curious because there there's the scene where he's you know stomping this corpse right, and he's yelling "motherfucker, shit, shit, fuck, motherfucker." Pretty uncharacteristic, Adrian, too. Yeah, which makes me wonder. Okay, if this is all some sort of empathy play mm-hmm. that he's trying to to pull one over on Dr. Manhattan and mm-hmm. get him to let him out, why this display? Why this anger? Why this frustration with his experiment not working? Because they, the experiment is not the thing that would get him yeah. out, right? Could this be some kind of cover? Could he be doing this? Because, look, I I know that if Dr. Manhattan sees what I'm doing, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's, he's going to understand, like, if I'm plotting behind his back, right? If I'm doing things in secret, but if I'm doing things out in the open and I'm making it look as if I'm very angry, he can't possibly know what I'm thinking. Possibly, yeah. So, so maybe he thinks that this is my escape attempt when the real escape attempt is, or it could be he's, him there and- he's like a, a prisoner who's doing a two prong approach. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's uh, like Andy DeFreeze. Defren- uh, who's train. simultaneously tunneling through the wall and trying to get his law degree. So, yeah. like, I'm going to try to win my appeal, uh, and I'm also tunneling out of here, and whichever gets me f- to freedom first is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So it could be that we're seeing both. Like, the play is his 
is his uh, getting a law degree and trying to talk his way out of prison and win an appeal. And the launching Mr. Phillips into whatever he's launching him into is his attempt to escape. And I was also yeah. thinking that, like, maybe he doesn't want to escape. Maybe he just needs to be seen. Yeah. Like, we know that Mars is under constant surveillance. Like, if you just, like, you know, if, if, if a figure could just walk out on the Mars and, like, say, like, kind of, like, do a... Uh, a Watney uh, from from uh, the Martian, mm-hmm. and just be like, "Hey, I'm here. Look at me. Like that's enough." Like, are, well, you don't need a corpse to live. Yeah, to as I was saying, like, what, what, like, if, is, is you there, can just shoot him naked into space. Is there a Martian satellite that just would see a human figure like coming <laughs> yeah. out of this invisible bubble and then coming back, and then that would be good enough? Potentially, maybe? but why get the thicker skin? Right? Yeah, you, you know, I think I think this is something that Ozymandias himself plans to wear to. Yeah. Maybe if John won't give him an audience, he'll go out and find John. Which, by the way, if you're not a Watchmen fan, John is the real name of of of, of Doctor Manhattan. So yeah, maybe he's 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 like, name. well, if Doctor Manhattan won't come to me, I'm going to go out to, and he's doing both simultaneously. But I, I don't I don't think the play has anything to do with the escape attempt. Then what does it have to do with? I, I do think he's he's trying. He if this is a prison that Manhattan has put him in until he learns his lesson. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then that is part of the escape attempt. I okay, you know, like well, it's a two pronged escape attempt that you okay. outlined. Well, it's, well, one's an escape, one is an absolution, and the other is just like getting. You know, it's like it's okay. like yeah, yeah. If you get released from prison, you escape, I guess. <laughs> but if you convince or, the warden, if you if you convince the warden to empathize with mm-hmm. you and and therefore let you out before your uh, sentence is up, I I would call that an escape almost. Uh, now the other thing is like we haven't talked at all about like why is he in the prison like yeah. why would he be in prison seven years ago why would dr manhattan um that that's the other thing is i'm still not entirely sure that this isn't some kind of like the world put ozymandias on secret trial mm-hmm. and found him guilty but they can't go public with it because obviously that would undo the piece that they've got so hmm. did they also then use the blue phone booth to call dr manhattan and say hey We've got the world's smartest man. We can't contain him in any prison. Can you help us out? Like, I, I wonder, like, what brought the thing to the head that caused Adrian to get put in prison? Maybe Adrian was starting to do some stuff like he was before. Manhattan caught wind of it and said, nope, I'm putting you in prison before you kill another three million people. That's the thing. Like, I feel like we've gotten the what kind of figured out, but the how yeah, yeah. and why, why I don't understand. The, so what, the what and where possible, we have what and where and when figured so out this episode there it's mentioned that you know the russians are working on an intrinsic field generator mm-hmm. is there any possibility that ozzy seeing sort of the we, we also know that like a lot of technologies being manhattan technologies being mm-hmm. rolled back into society right of course by the american government right is there any chance that ozzy sees that as like some world ending advantage that America would have and wants to sort of even the playing field and gives this technology to the Russians. Uh, is it possible that Manhattan only wants one Manhattan? Like one thing about the uh, monotheistic God is, is, uh, it seems like they're jealous. They're, they're a jealous God. Like, is it just something that like bothers Dr. Manhattan? The idea that like they'd create another one of me, like I'm awful. I shouldn't exist. So, maybe like there's there's a way that both of those things could be true 
Yeah, it seems like that happened seven years ago. So he was, you're saying maybe Ozzy was working on a second yeah. Manhattan. Because the other thing is that's kind of now that I'm thinking about it is like if Dr. Manhattan wanted another Dr. Manhattan in the world for like companionship or whatever, he absolutely could do that, right? He could oh, make yeah. Lori a Dr. Manhattan. Uh-huh. He could make Dan a Dr. Manhattan. He could make everyone on Earth a Dr. Manhattan, I'm sure. Yeah. Expose, I mean, made expose everyone to intrinsic field, rip them apart, and whoever puts themselves back together again, hey, we're now a perfect planet of Dr. Manhattans. Right. He never has done that. That's got to be significant, right? Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean it, I'm right, for sure. It, no, no. <laughs> you, all your statements are true. Yes, they're uh, not falsifiable. Whether that's what's going on, I don't know. Here, here's another thing that might be going on. Okay. Uh, people are talking about this potentially being a simulation. Mm-hmm. I look at it and I say, what is the fundamental difference? If this is some kind of simulation that Ozzy is strapped into in a VR helmet versus the simulation that is Dr. Manhattan's physically present created simulation. Mm -hmm. There's no fundamental difference, right? Knowing what Dr. Manhattan is and is capable of, that's probably true. I I just can't, yeah, I can't imagine that it would be fundamentally too much different. But on the other hand, he's also famous for saying that there's not a difference between a live body and a dead body Mm -hmm. because it's got the same amount of particles. So it's like... By what, by what measure are we saying something's the same? You know, yeah. Like Doctor Manhattan is pretty oblivious to the, the finer details that are important to us humans, but maybe not important to a god. So, mm-hmm. all right, let's move on to uh, Keen addressing the press at the cemetery, and he tells them he's not leaving Oklahoma until the war against Seven K is won. Lori talks with Angela, who is still on the scene doing detective work, and reveals that she found the wheelchair tracks on the site and the secret compartment in Judd's closet. And she accuses Angela of disposing of whatever was on the bust in that closet. And Angela doesn't crack. Instead, she pours the coffee that Lori gave her right into the tunnel and then leaves. And does a ooh. <laughs> right. uh, I thought it was funny that Keen, in his statement, I'm not a hero. The only reason I'm still alive is because of the heroic actions of law enforcement agents. He's talking mm. about Angela. Yeah. Did he just out Angela? Who was there to witness that? Probably not. I was going to say, is, is was a there police press only? There? Was there, was there... there had to be press there, right? Was but it everybody seemed to be kept outside of the gates. Yeah. I, I don't know. And it seems like uh, maybe respecting journalistic freedoms and is, is not high on the Tulsa Police but Department's I mean, do you have some priorities? moths flying around? It's true. Like, taking pictures of Angela. Where, show me the moths. Yeah. The number of moths in the air, not zero. Never. <laughs> maybe they all burnt themselves out trying to get a picture of his body. Yeah, uh, I love the scene between Lori and Angela. Uh, there's it, it has similar vibes to the looking glass scene, except mm-hmm. Angela doesn't crack. Uh, Angela doesn't crumple under the pressure like looking glass does. Yeah, it's, it's but she says something I think is fundamentally wrong-headed, uh, which she says, like, men who end up hanging from trees with hidden compartments think of themselves as the good guys. I think that Lori thinks that what was on that bust was some kind of heroic costume... And then she says the men, the people that protect them think they're good guys too. Angela knows the truth and is deeply disturbed by it. Plus her grandfather is saying a whole bunch, was said a whole bunch of stuff that was deeply disturbing. I think it's an interesting case where both of them are wrong about each other, but for very, very good reasons. It's going to be hard to talk them both out of. And yet I think the sentiment that Laurie is expressing is also true. No, that's what of Judd. Like absolutely. If he gets in that robe, uh, and and goes to his fucking meeting he thinks he's the hero i still wonder like that's such a crazy thing that he had such a close relationship with angela as a 
Klansman. Yeah, I mean it's it's hiding in plain sight. It's the the cover, right? Did I wait? Did I forget to talk about this? Is is there is this is it a crazy idea that that maybe we're wrong and it's not Judd who was the Klansman, but Jane? Is she is is this like a, is this like a basic twist that we just assume that the wife who directly worked for the campaign of Keen uh and like you know it doesn't seem like she knows anything like what if she is actually the one but that that doesn't explain why he would feel emboldened to go out at night without any escort or protection when cops are like back on the menu like i, I don't know it's just something i want to throw out there because yeah you know, is, is it possible that judd didn't know anything and it's jane that was the snake in the grass it's not impossible sure yeah <laughs> I, I just don't think we have any information yeah uh, i just want, I just want to throw that to out there I'm covering i'm covering all my internet points bets yeah there, there's some really fun stuff in this scene too with angela popping out of that hole with those goggles on uh which i thought was hilarious and then a really nice shot at the end with uh you, you sort of you almost see into Lori through those goggles right yeah where, where she's shown uh just framed in one of the lenses yeah Plus, they also, um, the last time we saw that uh, kind of framing was when Angela was looking, scanning over Judd's possessions, and her eyes framed both the the older Judd, or the older Crawford and the younger one, mm -hmm. bouncing him on his knee. It's an interesting framing device in that light. All right, moving on. Lori unpacks a giant blue dildo from her briefcase and recruits PD to use it on her. In his mask, no less. Whoa, whoa. PD uses it on her? Oh, fuck yeah. PD uses it on D her. Is there is is that is that the canon? I, I I saw him wearing the mask, but I didn't see the. Oh yeah, Petey, you don't bust that out and then go to Petey's hotel room without. That's that's Chekhov's dildo. What if she used it on Petey? Huh? Oh, she might have used it on Petey too. Yeah. All right. But that that definitely went into someone. Uh, during during the conclusion of this voiceover joke, all this is happening. Uh, and she sheds a tear over Doctor Manhattan's absence as this transmission that she's been giving from the Blue Booth Network ends and the message is sent to dr manhattan when she walks out of the booth she is nearly crushed by angela's car which falls from the sky right in front of her and she just throws her head back and laughs because uh, what a fucking joke uh we also found out that she's a platinum user of the blue booth yes. too. so this is not uh, this is a regularly scheduled thing that she does yeah and she talks about how why do i keep coming here and telling yeah. you jokes yeah that's apparently her thing now she just tells jokes Mm -hmm. To Doctor Manhattan, uh, like like I mentioned earlier, this brick joke is an old an old joke that I had never heard of. Um, you essentially set up the the joke, you tell a non sequitur joke, and then in the end, you bring back the original joke and you crack people up with it, or you blow their brains out through their nose. Yeah, I saw one that you, are you familiar with the the stick figure comic XKCD? Uh huh. That in one comic that uh, a character just without a without anything else to do that threw a boomerang off screen and like mm -hmm. 459 comics later it came back <laughs> yeah that's, that's great that's that's a that's a classic brick joke the, yeah. the joke is just that ah you forgot about it and here it comes back okay the big event the giant blue dildo no uh <laughs> the car falling from the sky yeah well first do you want to talk about the blue dildo or have we talked all I we think, need i mean the only thing i think is interesting is that it's got a separable power source like why are the balls power source yeah like the balls of the dildo connect to like they're detachable magnetically like i'm assuming that's the power source is that because oh, okay it's a manhattan power source like what 
Why would you have? Uh, I, this, I don't know. Is this outlawed Manhattan tech? I, that's what I was getting at. Oh, like shit. it's like it's uh, is, is I, I don't know. It, it bothered me. It's like that's from a usability standpoint. Well, I mean everything about this thing from a usability standpoint mm -hmm. uh, kind of bothers me. Like this, they is, have been uh, rolling uh, Manhattan tech back into the police force, so. <laughs> Maybe it's a standard issue. Police issue dildo. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. They use it. It's a, they actually use it to knock down doors. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's like a battering ram. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. a billy club. Yeah. I wasn't sure why the balls were detachable. That was it's a good question. Interesting. And also, there's a couple people just made, like uh, Doctor Manhattan walked around naked all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, oh, I wonder if like the fact is that like it always got blurred out in news, and because we also know that Manhattan <laughs> has a, you know. It, it's a uh, it's a penis. It's not excessively big. It's not excessively small. It's well, just unless a penis. he's in Vietnam. Well, true. Oh, I guess that's the thing. Like, I mean, what you can is make Manhattan's it as big penis? or small? As I, there are probably five hundred versions of this thing, right? That's in true. all different sizes. Yeah, you got Manhattan XL. Oh yeah. Manhattan uh, Vietnam God of Death version. Right. right. <laughs> so it's like the size of a phone pole, the telephone pole. Uh -huh. Okay, good point. All all concerns of the toy are now withdrawn by me. <laughs> okay, then let's talk about the car. Okay. The car falling from the sky. It is incredibly timed mm -hmm. because it is exactly 40 seconds of screen time between when she hangs up that phone and when this car drops. Hmm. They say your message will reach Dr. Manhattan in 40 seconds or Mars in 40 seconds. Is this, is this evidence of Dr. Manhattan having received the message? Is this a cosmic joke of coincidence it, why is she laughing is dr manhattan in league with the hooded justice people i seriously doubt it because like what does manhattan need with the sky crane or whatever yes. he could just you know lift it or do whatever he does so i i, I don't know I, I think it's still the joke is it's a coincidence yeah but well let me add to this because uh -huh. Lori is quoting uh, the comedian at the end of this, uh -huh. or, or no, quoting War Rorschach uh, when she says, you know, roll on snare drum, uh -huh. uh, blah, 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 curtains, good joke. All that is a quote of the comedian being thrown out of a window uh, in the comic and mm -hmm. him sort of falling from the sky. Mm -hmm. So it kind of all ties in as a motif of this this falling object. I, I don't know if they're trying to get at Dr. Manhattan is responding to Lori. I don't think so. I think this is meant to play as a joke. Yeah. Um, this is tied in more with the brick than it is with Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Uh, but we'll find out sooner than later, I assume. Uh, let's talk about the PD files. Uh, we had three instances of this episode, uh, this week. Uh, uh, a review by Agent PD of AHS based on the first two episodes he saw uh, called Based on Unfactual Events. Mm -hmm. We had White Flight to Mars, um, which is a article from the New Frontiersman uh, railing against the, the progressive politics of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we had the four letters, which I think we pretty much already discussed, which was yeah. pre th this is the letter that... Uh, uh, daddy or Grandpappy Keen gave to Daddy or Grandpappy Crawford, uh, bequeathing the heritage of the Klan uh, to to them mm -hmm. and uh, the defense of white people in America. Uh, let's talk about the uh, unfactual events uh, article. I don't know this. This seems to be a lot of stuff that we already kind of knew. They 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 talked about uh, Hood of Justice, you know, being active in Queens in 1938. Um, 
he they talk about in 1955 yeah there's uh they, they talk about that there's like all these legends of what hooded justice could do and like what kind of uncanny powers but the in his estimation as a scholar the best evidence is that he was a mere mortal about one of albeit one of uncommon physical strength mm-hmm. um which kind of ties back to uh uh the hood of justice that that we think of uh as angela's grandfather yeah uh, he claims to be super strong we haven't seen it yet but like i'm sure that's going to pan out um he te- he disappeared in 1955 as you said instead of revealing himself to a sitting senator from his home state um which would be interesting if he knew about the legacy of the Keens and the Keens were from Oklahoma and he himself is from Oklahoma, that he refused to do that just because he doesn't want to out himself to like one of the biggest racists of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting. They also talked about how um, a lot of his, a lot of the rumors about him supporting Hitler's Third Reich was from that book that Hollis Mason wrote, the former Night Owl. And that this this guy essentially takes act to task and says there's really little evidence outside of Hollis Mason and he might have been uh, fallen victim to a lot of the communist uh, scare stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he also uh, fought back against like the, uh, the conception of a hooded justice being uh, in a homosexual relationship with Captain Metropolis, which was um, a rumor from the old night, uh, uh, the old uh, the old Watchmen comic. It, he also threw a little bit of like closet shade back at Hollis too. He's yeah. like, yeah, it seems a little counterintuitive for a guy who is taking Hollis to task for manufacturing things based on opinion or assumptions. Yeah, he's like, well, it's like you're in, you're wearing tight pants and cleanly shaven legs, and you never were known to date a woman. You died a bachelor. Hmm. Right. I thought that was kind of interesting. There's also other stuff like he's got this huge axe to grind against people grinding axes against toxic masculinity mm-hmm. like he's like oh yeah the comedian's a bad guy but like it's a little bit much to talk about like this all in terms of toxic masculinity which is kind of interesting well he kind of viewed it as like that's the shallow read of it mm. or is there's a deeper read yeah i think that i just think that this is i don't know it'll be interesting to see what we what we discover about show pd too mm-hmm. um and then because uh, th- there's also like a little Easter egg here that the director of this series, uh, his last name is March, is the grandson of James Trafford March, which was also a, a science fiction author that was abducted by Ozymandias to help kind of write the script or the story or the lore for his squid attack. Yeah. Um, which kind of dra- draws a connection, you know, to the original material as well. And then they, he also favorably compares the original Silk Spectre. He says that this outfit shows that she was kind of like uh, a quote-unquote fame whore uh, who was uh, celebrity-seeking and, like, staged all of her uh, criminal interventions with, like, actors and stuff, and she was kind of a fraud. And the show contrasts her unfavorably against uh, Ursula Zant, the silhouette, Um and he kind of like is on team uh, Silk Spectre because he admires his fellow agent Lori Blake, I think, hmm. which is interesting. And now okay. that we he slept with her, um, he also says that like they promised that they're going to be uh, what is the word for it? Uh, sensationalizing the event, which he assumes is going to be the rape of Silk Silk Spectre, and mm-hmm. he's already kind of like cringing for his agent because yeah that would be it'd be a tough t- situation to deal with yeah did i miss anything i think that's that's all the points i got out of it anyway no i think that's about it uh and then let's talk about this white flight to mars um 
There's a couple things in here that I, I guess this was pointed out in the previous episode, but John Grisham has recently been nominated to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the legal thriller writer. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I think it's horrifying, but because I, I I think that his reputation as a lawyer is not super great. But awesome, what a celebrity president would do is is kind of funny. Um, yeah. the the uh preferred candidate of the new frontiersman is Mitch McConnell, Kentucky's own, Rush Limbaugh, or Joe Keene for twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And that his opinion is if they don't get elected, that the only choice is to try to join Dr. Manhattan on Mars. Mm-hmm. That like in this far right circles, that Dr. Manhattan is kind of like worshipped like Nixon's son, Jesus Christ, kind of. Uh, there's like this cult of personality. This is the worst version of The Expanse. <laughs> or just all the racists go to Mars. Yeah, and he they, he he ends up with like uh, Doctor Manhattan's blue, uh, Mars is red. We just need white people there to make the American flag complete. And he uh, uses in in what is just the most ironic possible inclusion. Mm-hmm. He uses Martin Luther King Jr.'s "Free yeah. at Last" quote. Yeah, and 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 spins it into you know if we can just get Rush Limbaugh and all them, we'll be free at last. Uh, which to me is a commentary on the sort of harmfulness of ignorance because mm-hmm. if this person was educated on what that quote actually is, mm-hmm. I don't think they would include it because they would see it as something that's anathema to everything they believe in. Or it's a cynical ploy to co-opt uh, Dr. King's message and kind of start, you know, because like this stuff happens like over generations, you know, um, mm-hmm. like the daughters of the Confederacy, you know, like the uh, the General Custer's widow, like the, all these ways to reframe history by the losers. And you take your eye off the ball and they're like they're doing all this stuff against. It's like, you know, Martin Luther King Day, find any politician right or left that does anything but deify the man. It's highly unlikely that everyone behind closed doors agrees with the aims of Martin Luther King, yet they all have to pay lip service to mm-hmm. um, how great a man he was, even though like the reality is 50 years ago, a lot of them would have been fighting against him. A lot of them still fight against what he was trying to do. So like, I, I took that as a little bit like, I'm not sure if he's ignorant, but he's taking advantage of other people's ignorant and like trying to reframe the thing. Well, that's the thing. That's the, whether it's his own ignorance or other people's, I think it's, right. uh, it's a powerful generator of hate. Sure. Uh, and I think that's one of the things they're getting out with this. And I also see a lot of um, parallels with the tone of far left sentiment right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, ha- having people in office who aren't qualified to be there, t- hoping for this change in leadership that will undo the damage that's currently being done. Right? Mm-hmm. Like encouraging voting for change as a solution. Nothing. Nothing beyond that. Like those are things I hear. You know, from the other side of the coin in our modern society. I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other thing that they make explicit, and I'm sure this will come out in later episodes, is that the Redfordations, and it's as it's properly known, the Victims of Racial Violence Act, is actually, it's not just about the Tulsa race riots. Yeah. There's 50 other incidents of certifiable atrocity perpetrated by structures of agents of white supremacy. I wonder if there's one in each state. Uh, <laughs> that would That would be remarkably... Uh, and, and a remarkable the, coincidence. Noticeable. Well, I mean, it's 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 missing. Vietnam is the fifty first state, but like, I, I wonder if if it's like there's one like one kind of like cherry pick from each state, and it's not a cash settlement. Mm-hmm. It is a tax, as as we t- yeah. we talked about and theorized. It's it's a tax relief thing. So they're paying reduced or no taxes if if you have if you can tie yourself back to one of these fifty 
uh, certifiable atrocities. So okay, I saw something weird uh-huh. in this article. Other than than racial hatred, that's pretty weird to <laughs> saw me. Saw something weird in the New Frontiersman, you say? I did. Tell me more. So there is a line in there where they're—I forget what they're talking about. But they're talking about keeping the blue wave in check and and a, a certain uh, time period in which there were Republicans or conservatives rather who were able to do that. And they list that time period as 1992 to 1991. Mm, off by one. Does that strike you as odd? Everywhere else, it's like 2006 to 2012, 2008 to 2009. Here Wait, are it's you 1992 saying... to 1991. So it's it's going backwards in history? Yes. Okay. Yes. Did something funky happen with the timeline this around is, this? This is where like I started... Is this to... a typo? <sighs> It could be because it's it could be just showing that like this is kind of a rag and it's it's not up to like rigorous standards of journalism. Maybe it's not even edited properly. Maybe it's not even spell check. Oh, I'm sure. This like is it's just, like yeah. I, I don't it, it could be that. But it's just like, uh, you know, the, my, your humble, obedient servant kind of business. Like mm-hmm. there's so many ways you can read it both as like a plain reading, like an in the know reading and a da- Damon Lindelof in the know yeah. reading, reading. That it's it's tough to say. It's something to keep an okay. eye on. It's got this this like uh, if we weird. see a couple more numbers flipped around or numbers off by one, as you say, um, maybe this Mister Robot stuff is bleeding into the Watchmen. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I I don't know. It's something definitely to keep your eye on. And also, presumably, all this information, this is just like insider stuff. This is to make us really the one percent of the show watchers like really seem smart to our friends and family because like yeah. All this stuff has to either work its way back into the narrative or it's ultimately not important. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for all this stuff to be established in the main narrative on the show because otherwise it's just like, you know, you can't tell people they've seen. If you watch all nine episodes, like this doesn't make any sense. And the consensus is, well, you got to go back and read the PD files. Nobody's going to fucking do that. That's a failure. So <laughs> this stuff is all interesting and it keeps us like one step ahead of the game. But also it's got to make its way back into the narrative. All right, enough PD files. Let's go to the E files uh, that you can send in emails to Watchmen at baldmove.com. It's feedback. PD back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, Watchmen at baldmove.com or our forums, forums.baldmove.com, if you'd like to discuss your pet Manhattan prison Mars theory. Uh, first up, Mark. There's a miss from episode two I felt like you guys might want to address. The Max Headroom type man inside the kiosk that Angela spoke to at the Tulsa Reparation Center. Henry Louis Gates is not only a real person uh, and hosted a TV show, he's also a Harvard Harvard professor that was arrested for breaking and entering at his own home in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 2009. There's a big national stink about it because Obama said the cop acted stupidly. This led to the quote-unquote beer summit. Do you remember this thing? No. I just, as soon as it said beer summit, it came back to me, where Obama, Biden, Gates, and the cop all had beers at the White House and kind of suss things out considering how much the show is dealing with racism and police Lindelof has to be doing a bit of a uh, nudge here uh yeah no I completely forgot about that that is entirely something that he is suggesting um and uh good for you uh picking that up Mark and bringing it to our attention moving on to Evan Holy shit, Lori Blake's introduction was masterful. For those who have watched or read the source material, it's very juicy, but in its own vacuum, the way the writers used her to, one, shake up all the characters we've already met, and two, give some sizzling backstory to characters we haven't, was top-class writing. We already felt familiar with Looking Glass, Sister Night, etc., 
I'd even say those characters felt top of the food chain. But suddenly she arrives and gives the audience an entirely different view. We now see Tulsa's police practices and DOPA in a new lens. Looking Glass gets his methods questioned. The whole police force gets scrutinized. And just when I thought, man, she's almost too overpowered narratively, Sister Knight pours out her coffee and effectively spits in her face. Lori Blake is a phenomenal character, but most phenomenal was the way she was used to reframe everyone we've met so far. And I'm in love with this piece of television and Damon Lindelof. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I guess I appreciated that more on second watch, um, that she is kind of upending, uh, having this third force come in from outside is, uh, a tried and true narrative story to, uh, to, to kind of break things out of stasis. Not that Watchmen was in danger of being in stasis <laughs> coming out of episode two. Uh, do you have any comments or should we move on? Mar- moving on to Barry. I love the episode and love uh, Jean Smart as Lori Blake. It felt to me like she has become her father, the comedian, with one, her one-liners and dark sense of humor. As awesome as this was for all Watchmen and Leftover superfans, this felt like the first episode where not knowing the source material might hurt your enjoyment of the show. Do you agree? I, I don't know how to put myself in the proper perspective. Yeah, so it's like I was watching his dark materials last night, uh, and... I know usually when I watch a show, I just kind of like roll with everything. But like I found that since I know Cecily's in the podcast and she's seen the movie and she's read the books, like I was constantly kind of pestering her with like, what's going on? What's going on? Because I felt like I was maybe missing everything. Hmm. And um, I don't know. I feel like that. Lindelof is a skilled enough film writer that like all this stuff, like we are like, like, like if you've read the Watchmen, it's kind of like you're reading the PDF files ahead of the PDF files. So like you might have some clues about what's going on, you know, significance, but like ultimately this thing will succeed or fail as a, as a, it, its own thing. If it doesn't require knowledge of the original material, hmm. but I don't know. Cause that's like saying you don't need to watch star Wars to appreciate empire strikes back. Like that literally might be true, but you're definitely going to miss a lot of the finer points of the relationships between the characters and the world and whatnot if you if you skip ahead. So that's what I mean, I'm used to Hollywood projects when they are sequels, making sure everyone's up to speed because that's where the money is. But HBO historically hasn't given a fuck about what is profitable and what is popular and pursue what is good uh, as as a good unto itself, and is and, and and accidentally been very popular and profitable as a result. So, <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a better feeling on that, or no? But I got to say, in some ways, I'm envious of the people who don't have that background because I am constantly looking for those connections. Yeah, yeah. constantly getting in my own way to just understanding what they're trying to tell me with what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like if I didn't have that knowledge, I would be able to, like you said, just roll with it, right? Mm-hmm. And and let the show present its information in the time uh, scale that it it plans to. Yeah. Whereas now I'm trying to get ahead of it. I'm trying to like suss out. Okay, yeah. how are these characters related? Who are these people? What's what's going on? And it's more from the context of like, I feel like I should know this stuff, right. as opposed to like I feel like I shouldn't know this stuff, and the show will eventually tell me. Yeah, I, and that's that's where I was getting at with that like uh, talk about Cecily and his dark materials is that like is the knowledge that there is this larger world that like, you know, came before 
is that impairing the people's enjoyment where it's like they can't relax and just be like, oh, because like, I, again, uh, if, if you didn't know about the Watchmen and this was just a puzzle box show, then like all these mysteries would just be mysteries. Yes. And, you know, like the, you'll you'll try to guess and you'll try to make inferences to and the narrative will fill time. things in. And but like, you know, uh, is if, if you're watching this and, you know, there's stuff came before it and you haven't. But again, I can't stress this enough. Watch the original theatrical release of The Watchmen, mm -hmm. and you're going to get like 95% of the stuff, especially oh, yeah. now that you're three episodes in. There's like, it's 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 never going to be a bad time to go back and watch that movie because mm -hmm. it will catch you up with the majority of what you need. And 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 honestly, if you want to go real super in depth, read the graphic novel. It mm -hmm. will take you a couple hours, and you'll have read one of the great mm -hmm. pieces of literature of the 1980s and one of the standouts in a genre, and you'll be fully equipped to do that stuff. So if it is bother you then then like there's no need to to be in distress just uh you're, you're just a two and a half hour movie away or about a four hour comic book read to, to be in as up-to-date as anybody is mm -hmm. uh, uh barry concludes with i got a kevin singing karaoke vibe from the leftovers when angela sang at the funeral yeah he lindelof loves to fucking do this to his actors is this like, something that's big and lost to like sing-alongs and whatnot or because there's definitely a thing in the leftovers I don't recall it in Lost, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Lost was a big show. Right. Uh, yeah, what, seven episodes or seven six, seasons? Six of... seasons, 25 episodes each yeah. season. Like a, so it's like 15, it. 15 seasons of Golden Age type Easily, of stuff. Easily, yeah. Uh, Steven, it all makes sense now. Ozymandias is a captive of Dr. Manhattan on Mars. We saw Dr. Manhattan building Ozymandias' castle on Mars because that's where it actually resides. Dr. Manhattan's provided a kind of game preserve type prison that is safe from the Martian environment, and Ozymandias is attempting to escape the enclosure, maybe Mars itself, by testing spacesuits on his clone servants. Uh, it also appears, though I'm less certain of this, that the FBI's intelligence to Ozymandias has been hiding out doing something in South America for the intervening years until three years ago. Uh, since his cake has three candles when he's found and imprisoned on Mars. I think the second paragraph is in opposition to your first. Um, that, like, you have to, like, I don't think it's going to be a like half the time he spent on Earth and then half the time he spent in some kind of Martian prison. It's probably going to be uh, uh, all one or the other. Um, and like I said, there's also, with the Damon Lindelof thing, is this initial reveal or these initial hints might be false flags themselves mm -hmm. like damon lindelof could be crawling through a tunnel into a mausoleum as we speak mm -hmm. to surprise us with a, a vested dynamite in the next episode yeah so because he he himself is clever and he's read all the source material and he makes all he he, he he's capable of of using that to fool us too so um, I mean, think about all the wild theories that were going on in, in leftovers about Russian submarines and the end of the world and all. And oh yeah, tons of them. I mean, Lost was that times ten, but half yeah, of them and, turned and, out and, to be and, true. And the climax of the show is essentially a, a playing the lying game. You know? Yeah. Like it's he's and 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 that didn't feel like a ripoff mm -hmm. either. So the the man is uh, capable of anything. He's a very dangerous criminal. This uh, Damon Lindelof. Lauren, why do you think Pete is creating the PDPedia? Is it his escape from his boring job managing the projector? Partially. But I think it's also he feels it's important. Is okay, because well, here's my conspiracy theory. What if the PDPedia is essentially the Rorschach journal of the post Watchmen series timeline? 
Okay. Like, because there's already, I think there's already some hints that, like, maybe Agent PD is kind of going rogue as far as, like, a, an entirely reliable protagonist narrator. I wonder if, like, the PD Files is some kind of crank website that's collected bits of trivia that backs up whatever is the conspiracy de jour that's going to be the result at the end of this Watchmen. I think that's a pretty cool theory. Yeah, because otherwise, like, where there's all these, re- like, yes, there's a lot of PD in there, but there's also some unrelated bits yeah. of, like, you know, where did he get well, this? his judgment letter? of, like, the pop culture stuff. Yeah. I, I think is is more opinion-based than it is fact-based. And if you look at the dates, if he had in his possession this letter to of Papa Crawford, like, uh, that would be germane to the investigation that he and... Uh, Lori are, are doing so it's like I, I think that there is to me it's starting to feel like this is something after fact being collected uh, for some kind of posterity on some kind of conspiracy moon landing site than it is this is PD's private web server that he's maintaining just the list of things he's interested in yeah. but that's just I, I, like I have it. nothing to substantiate that just as a feeling I've got um, a quote from the new frontiersman on the PDpedia. Free at last, free at last. If we can get a McConnell or a Keene or a Limbaugh elected in 2020, we'll be free at last. Does this mean in this iteration of 2019, both Rush Limbaugh and Mitch McConnell exist? Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't love the combo of Martin Luther King's Jr. speech and referencing those two minutes, same sentence. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a bad mouthfeel. It's a, it's like eating broken glass. It's, it's not a great taste. Uh, do those Dr. Manhattan phone booth exist in the comics? No. Um... Well, I mean, there are comics that are after The Watchmen that were not part of Alan Moore's original work that came out like 10 years ago. And I read the Ozymandias one, um, and I haven't read any others. So, like, maybe there's some of that in there. But in the original the comics, no, because Dr. Wa- Dr. Manhattan walked among us back then. Yeah, he only um, disappeared at the very end. Uh, but it is interesting, this this Dr. Manhattan booth. It's like there's almost a religious cult forming around Dr. Manhattan. Like, this is like... Uh, an absolution this is like a confessional booth oh yeah i mean those are prayer booths you're essentially sending your prayers to god yes uh you know hoping he'll come answer them yeah um and it seems like there is a at least in the watchman universe there's a lot of right wingers that are clinging to that concept of you know you know nixon's nixon's god coming to save them all um tiang paul greetings from dubai I'm loving your Watchmen coverage. Uh, I wanted to write in and comment on the contradictory characterization of Lori Blake and how she's essentially comedy as an art personified. I really like this take. And your instant take, Aaron described her as a contradiction, and I think that's by design on two levels. The first is simple enough. As a second-generation Watchmen turned anti-vigilante enforcer, she's the hero that lived long enough to watch herself become the villain. Secondly, and more interestingly, I've always been fascinated by the comedians and the old adage that those who laugh the hardest often are the saddest inside. Lori Blake, as she's been introduced, perfectly encapsulates this. Despite the hurt and all that she's been through, falling in and out of love with the literal God, etc., she's now quipping and throwing jokes out left, right, and center. But the genius in Gene Smart's performance is the nuance and sadness behind that. She's hilarious, but it's biting wit and cynicism. She even jokes about how she's essentially been in funeral attire the entire episode when she finds out about Judd's funeral. It's all quipping all day and handing of uh, all the Oklahoma PD their asses with their silver tongue, but coming home to nothing but the cold stainless steel of a military-grade Dr. Manhattan dildo, then passionately fucking her subordinate. She's lonely, she's jaded, she feels left behind, probably a little depressed, and like any good comedian, uses humor, sarcasm, and wit as a coping mechanism. In doing so, she's indeed her father's daughter. 
Uh, is that so? Okay, is that something that we or the show has made explicit enough? The central contradiction, the Lori character herself. I know we talked about it in the preview podcast, but I don't know how many people even listen to that. Um, what do you mean? Just like the the the, 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 the fact that she used to be this she is the she's the daughter of two famous costume vigilantes, uh, the comedian and Silk Spectre, her mother. Um, the comedian raped her mother in the early mm-hmm. days of the Minutemen, the yeah. the organization that, perce- that that was kind of like the loose band of vigilantes. Um, and she then, hated him for it, and now she has taken on his name. Yeah, and then at some point that like they had a later uh, after several years a consensual sex relationship where Lori was conceived, and um, that's something that her mother kept from her for a long time as a deep source of shame. And now you know that was something that like almost broke Lori at the, rev- the, the the finding all that out. But now um, Lori has taken her her father's last name Blake. Yeah, and I think the conflict comes in in the interim, right between like finding that information out. And then sort of, like the emailer said, living long enough to see herself become the villain. Yeah. Like, there, there is, there's nothing for her to grasp onto uh, that seems right and true and just. Except yeah. for her father's nihilism and exactly. kind of Well, yeah, that's, that's the inevitable outcome when you feel like there's nothing for you, uh, is you view everything as meaningless. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think there is a, a definite sort of duality to her character. David sends in a message. I was shocked during instant cast that you did not love this episode. As a Watchmen movie lover, this is the kind of episode I was hoping for. I wanted to see what happened to the core group of characters. Clearly, Manhattan, Ozzy, and Silk Spectre are still bumming around, but what else, or who else do you think will show back up? They mention the owl twice in episode, once the joke. Uh, the other time, the senator says he can pardon anyone, even if her owl, or even her owl, if he becomes president. Do you want to see the old characters, or do you think the show is better if it mainly focuses on Tulsa and the modern-day issues? Well, I, mean, I think it will, even if we see the old characters. Yeah, yeah. I it, mean, It'll all be through that lens. Yeah, but I, I obviously want to see Dr. Manhattan. Like It's, it's yeah. one of those things where I do and I don't, because like Dr. Manhattan is just going to make an outsized impact on the plot. He can't. Mm-hmm. help it it's like introducing a nuclear bomb that one character uh, has like it's 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 what what you know he yeah it's it's like superman you know like he, superman's an interesting character it has to be handled cor- correctly because he's essentially a omnipotent being that can't be harmed by any conventional means so like if you want to tell any kind of sl- slow character driven story with them you almost inevitably have to depower him or handicap him or you know take his godhood off of the board mm-hmm. um or trick him or trick him yeah so but it, the story obviously is, has to be about you know dr manhattan so like him being sidelined let some of these other interesting intriguing characters and situations uh play out but like mm-hmm. i know we've already got ozymandias we've already got laurie they've mentioned that do i guess the big question is 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 night owl going to make an appearance I would say almost certainly yes, but I don't. I don't know why they tease him being in prison mm-hmm. and like all these things if they're not going to at some point deal with that. He's an emotional MacGuffin for Laurie. Like, yeah. you know, like he serves the narrative purpose of just like why is she cooperating with this kind of sleazy politician guy? Mm. Um, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know what what 
I don't, I can imagine a show like honestly these characters are more a part of the show than I th- what originally assumed just like three years ago. Mm-hmm. So like I'm kind of thrilled that like we're getting a lot of like really bizarre Ozymandias screen time that we're like like Laurie looks like she's going to be a, a a major character that you know we've already seen Doctor Manhattan we see his ever pervasive force on the pop culture. So like will it be better if they lean into that? Um, I, I do know that in the podcast that Lindelof recorded, uh, he said that like the one thing that he wanted to make sure, like the the if you think of all the superlatives you can think of, the Watchmen is above all else, it's original. Mm-hmm. Like there's that you know, uh, like deconstructing superheroes wasn't a thing when that thing got written, and it did it so well, and no one had ever read anything like it. So like, I think him wanting to honor that originality is that cross purposes to like nostalgic look, looks back at, you know, wish fulfillment for former Watchmen fans. But I don't know. Maybe you can pull them both. Yeah, it could off. be. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. If there isn't a way to use the old characters to do something new and original. Uh, Omar from Alexandria, Egypt in the instant talk, you mentioned that we have passed the speed of light since the service system says 40 seconds, which is not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. The transmission started sending audio to Mars from the start of the phone call when the system lady said was start- the transmission was starting, or even in the middle of a five-minute call, there'd be plenty of time for the three-minute light tra- uh, travel, uh, the time it takes light to travel to Mars to have passed during the call itself. So when the audio ends, that last audio will reach Mars while the call would have already started over there and be playing well after the three minutes since the call easily took longer. Yeah, that's a great way to resolve that. Um the only thing I don't understand is when she starts the phone call, the booth immediately says Dr. Manhattan is listening. Um, but that could be like a marketing thing. Like, is that literally <laughs> yeah. true? It's like he'll be listening in in three minutes or I, I don't know. Or maybe. Or we're sending this message. Yeah. Currently, right now. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to say, oh, he'll be listening in three minutes. Like, we've already dispatched the message. There's nothing we could do to take it back, so he's listening. Do you think this service is an actual like? Is so? Is this a service like? Uh, you know, you can go and name a star after mm-hmm. someone you love, and what you do is you get a certificate that identifies some star. It's got like some name like NGC seven seven nine one three, and it's now Jim Star or whatever mm-hmm. you put on a certificate. But that is not cataloged anywhere but the company that's doing that. It's not like scientists will now refer to NG97631 as Jim Starr. It's just... It's like buying uh, lots on the moon. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Like, you may sell them. That doesn't mean they'll be honored. So transmitting something to Mars, like, what does that even mean? It looks like there's some kind of satellite relay system. Like, Mars doesn't have an atmosphere that you could, like, broadcast. Like, what does that actually mean? mean? For all we know, this could be some kind of surveillance like public surveillance system right yeah. like this could be beaming directly back to fucking the fbi ozymandias like i i assume laurie would know if it was going to the fbi but yeah that's true but you know some other but agency that's part of cia the joke too, nsa yeah. whatever yeah like there are plenty of places this could go other than dr manhattan yeah i think probably doctor like it, it like if i if i had to guess which isn't worth very much um i'm guessing that dr manhattan is getting these phone calls and there'll be some kind of callback like you know that the the, so comedy works in threes and Mm. we had the brick joke um we had the we had the 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 literal brick joke of the car we had the brick joke within the episode a uh for it for it to be honor that rule of threes you'd have to have dr manhattan come back as the ultimate brick joke Mm. to refer to something laurie said in this episode so i like that idea but that's that's just an idea 
Yeah. Um, and that is the last email we had. If you would like to send us messages to the blue, uh, to the blue booth, I will guarantee that we'll, unlike the unthinking, unfeeling, unhuman Dr. Manhattan, we will read everything we get. You, we get, uh, you can send it into watchman at baldmove.com. And it takes about a quarter second of light speed to get that email into our box. And, uh, who knows? We will consider it for feedback. You can also get onto the forums, forums.baldmove.com and uh talk with your fellow fans about your your theory you don't have to wait for some unfeeling unthinking podcast god you can just get right there in the forums at forums.baldmove.com uh and that's it i am on pins and needles to see what's going to happen in episode four yeah uh because wow like we didn't really talk about the impact of the car dropping like it's not dr manhattan so the people who rescued Will, why did they drop it there? Why did they drop it? Was it was a complete coincidence? Was it an accident? Like, what? How do you explain to the police what happened to your car? Yeah, Angela. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's. It's another thing of. I feel like that this is like uh, not only is it a brick joke, but it's also like half of a decoded message, and Angela has one half, and mm-hmm. uh, 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 Lori has the other. Is she getting an insurance check for this car? I seriously <laughs> doubt it. Yeah, yeah. Will someone reimburse the the parking lot operator for the giant crater is going to be there? Nope. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how the brick joke evolves. Hope you're there with us. Again, we have instant coverage after each airing of the Eastern show of uh, The Watchmen at 10 o'clock or thereabouts. And then uh, we'll see you here next Tuesday for the full cast. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya.